is falling from the clouds a strange and lovely sound i hear it in the thunder and the rain it's ringing in the skies like cannons in the night the music of the universe plays we're singing you are holy great and mighty the moon and the stars declare who you are i'm so unworthy but still you love me forever my heart We'll sing of how great you are. Beautiful and free, the song of galaxies, reaching far beyond the Milky Way. Let's join in with the sound come on let's sing it out as the music of the universe plays we're singing you are holy great and mighty the moon and the stars declare who you are i'm so unworthy but still you love me forever my heart will sing of you all glory honor power is yours amen all glory honor power is yours amen all glory honor power is yours forever amen we're singing you are holy great and mighty the moon and the stars declare who you are i'm so unworthy but still you love me forever my heart will sing of how great you are you are to see people um this week we are um this week we're starting a new series desperation uh when we come to worship why are we here uh we're gonna get started with our offering uh please remember to give school starting back soon uh there's three ways to give you can give in person uh through the website and text to give Good morning, everybody. We had a little bit of issue with the, the wind up here. It's always fun. <laughs> so as we start worship, um, first song is Your Grace Is Enough. If you want to look up the lyrics on your phones, that's fine. Um, just make sure we do that. Make sure that we're we're not singing loud. <laughs> yes, let's get a mask on. You got a mask on. You can do whatever you want.
Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters. You lead us by still waters and to mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Let's sing that again. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Great is your love and justice, God. Great is your love and justice, God. You use the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in the song. You lead us in the song of your salvation. And all your people sing. And all your people sing along. So remember your people. So remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, oh God. Sing, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Sing, your grace is enough. Your grace is your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. I stand up in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean singing how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Let's sing, I stand amazed in the presence. 
I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean singing how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love for me he took my sins and my sorrows he took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Let's sing how marvelous, how wonderful one more time. Singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Join me in saying the Apostles' Creed, and remember to speak up since you have your mask on so you can be heard a little better. <laughs> I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jenna. <laughs>
I'm going to put another word in your mouth that you didn't mean to say, but you said it without meaning to say it. But those are our small groups, right? That's how we stay connected. We stay connected through small groups. Uh, Heather has uh, a group text with a bunch of you ladies. Y'all stayed connected that way. Uh, I watched as other folks stay connected with their neighbors and things like that. So connection and relationship was absolutely vital. And for us, we did that through small groups uh, for the most part. Even though it's a group text, y'all are still a small group, whether you think you are or not. We just don't count you in the stats, by the way. What is, what is the last thing? There really is only about one more thing. What do you think? What else made it? What's that? The gospel is worship. Uh, that's worship. <laughs> What's that? That's worship. Mission. Mission was the last piece of the puzzle, right? So when you come down to it, we, we did not let go of loving our neighbors, even if we didn't do it the way we've been doing it the whole time, right? So it's not like we are standing right now, because one of the things that we would be doing right now is hydrating the Lewisburg High School football team. But we're having to change what that looks like. But that doesn't mean we stopped worship, we didn't stop small groups, we didn't stop mission. Those are really the three big pieces. Those are the pieces that go, this is how we look at discipleship. This is how we gain disciples, this is how we make disciples, this is how we become a better disciple, this is how we reproduce disciples. Those are the pieces. That's what it came down to. And so uh, from that, I think though, as we have begun to, we've begun to adjust and we've begun to, to figure out how all that works, and I do completely recognize we're being fed up. I get it. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fed upness to where we are with Zoom, right? You can only do so much Zoom. You can only do so much FaceTime. You can only do so much Facebook Messenger calling. And what's the other one? Google Groups or Google whatever. I don't know. There's like 50 of them. But you know, I know it's called what was, it's, it's Zoom fatigue. Like, I totally get it. It doesn't replace what we do in person. But listen. I think that the pandemic is now forcing us to ask a different question, and I'm probably going to peeve a lot of you, and I apologize. I'm just going to apologize straight up front. And this is not directed at any one person or group. It's not even directed at the well. It's directed at us understanding why it is we do what we do. But I think now that we, are, we have seen states start to reopen, we have seen things start to go back, there has been an absolute desire because the question has changed from not from what is essential, but when are we going to reopen, Right? As we see states open back up, as we see events open back up, as we see places go back, we're like, hey, what is, why isn't the church reopening? And that's a question that we really truly have to ask ourselves a lot and begin to evaluate, just like we have to evaluate church and we have to evaluate where we are when it comes to what's essential. We have to evaluate why reopen. And the question then becomes, okay, uh, why is it that we are here? And that's the question that I want us to really wrestle with. Why are we here? And I think you heard part of it is in relationships. Like that's one of the biggest reasons why, right? Because we're tired of Zoom. We're tired of doing this digitally. We want to be in person. We want to have that context. There's nothing outside of personal contact. You can't replicate that. Like I totally get that. And that's absolutely a hardcore, at its, at its very core, that is a great reason. But if that's the reason why we're working on doing reopening, I think we need to evaluate. Because here's the thing, watch this. The thing that I keep hearing more from anybody, there's relationships is one of them, but can I, hear, can I tell you what I hear in the background more than anything else? Uh, and this is just around, just talking to folks, just talking to people, talking to uh, preachers, talking to other ministers around here. The word normal keeps coming back. <laughs> we want normalcy. For the love of all things holy, we just want things to go back to normal. 
right? And that's the part I want us to dive into. I want us to really truly explore what that means when we start talking about normal. What does it mean to go back to normal, and what does that mean theologically? Because I think it has repercussions behind what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so I feel like there's a pandemic, uh, that the, as the pandemic continues to loom, and as, I don't think that it's not lost on me, that as right now we are spiking higher than ever. We've had this, nor- we've had this push to go back to normalcy. Throw it all to the wind, let's go back to normalcy. And so, like I said, I know this is going to be controversial for a lot of us. I'm not trying to press anybody's buttons, but I feel like as a pastor, I feel like we have to explore this. And it's this concept of desperation. That's what this series is about. Desperation. What is it that we are desperate for? And what is it that Scripture says that we are supposed to be desperate about? Those are the two things to me that we are going to be talking about. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about comfort. Because what holy desperation does is it forces us away from comfort. Yes, we're out here in tents. We're out here in mass. I actually had mine on up until I changed clothes to come out. I know you can't really understand what I'm talking about. Unless I tuck this thing underneath the mask, you're not going to hear it. So right after the sermon, you'll see me. I'll put the mask back on. Because I love y'all, and I respect y'all, and I want to make sure that you are safe from me (laughs) more than anything else. But y'all, let's, let's just be, let's be clear. We absolutely have to get rid of comfort if we're talking holy desperation. There is a fear that comes from holy desperation, well, a lack of holy desperation. There is a fear that drives us. The fear of the unknown challenges us. The fear of not understanding what's ahead of us, the fear of not grasping what could happen or what we might have to do, or even a fear of difficult times. We don't want to have to deal with difficulty. And that's what today is about, and that's what specifically this, ser- this whole series is about, is to push towards a holy desperation. So, last week, I, 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 we talked Leviticus. I couldn't help it. We got to go through Exodus and Numbers. Is that fair? <laughs> like, like, could we make these scriptures any more difficult, right? Because, <laughs> like, my Lord, he just talked Leviticus. But let's look at three scriptures today, and I want you to see the progression that we're talking about, Okay. So uh, let's go, open your Bibles up, open your phone apps to whatever you want to talk about here. Uh, Open them up to uh, Exodus 16. And before we get too far into Exodus 16, let me, while you're looking it up, let me give us, um, I'm going to have to search that one next. Uh, Let me, let me give us a little background. Let's go back a bit. So, and yeah, Nelson, you're right. The use of the phone. That is beautiful. Good job. Okay. Let's go back a bit to the understanding of Egypt. Let's go back a bit to the understanding of what was going on in Exodus 16. In Exodus 16, let me, let me give you a quick background history to lead us up to this point. Uh, if you will remember, there was a famine in Canaan. Joseph was overseeing the, fam, uh, the famine in Egypt, right? And he discovered his brothers had all come in to ask for food. Are y'all with me on this? Are y'all remember this? They didn't remember him. They didn't recognize him because it had been a long time. And he looks at him, and he gives them safe harbor, and he gives them food, and he says, y'all come on. And he literally, Egypt, and this is going to sound so strange, but Egypt was actually a mode of salvation for the Israelites. 
We don't think of it like that. We look at Egypt as the slavery place. That's the place where the, the Hebrews were enslaved and the Israelites were enslaved. And that's where they were brought down into, you know, into 400 years of enslavement. And that is true. But don't forget, in the very beginning, Egypt was how God, is what God used to save them and save them from famine. And as they get there, it's literally the Israelites. If you remember, uh, Joseph, uh, Jacob has been, had wrestled with God. So Israel means one who wrestles with God. His name had been changed, and they brought the family in, uh, saved them in Egypt, said, here, come live in this really cool land, and you will grow and prosper. And guess what they did? Until they grew and they grew and they grew. And while they were there, people also forget this. We don't hear this really a lot in, in sermon stuff, and, and, uh, and it's really not in Scripture. You just kind of have to know the history behind it. But they actually were working for wages to begin with. So they started working for Pharaoh. Um, and as they were there working for Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, wait a minute, <laughs> there's a lot of people here. And the wages began to be less and less and less. And what happened is all that, the, the millions of folks at this point, there was literally estimated to be one to two million Israelites at this time. Literally, he said, we're going to enslave them. And then the rise of Moses. Yes, y'all with me? Rise of Moses, Moses comes in and God says, hey, I want you to go get my people. Ten plagues. I know I'm glazing over a ton of history, y'all. <laughs> y'all walk with me. Ten plagues. They say, okay, let's go, and they start their journey out. And where we find them in Exodus 16 is they're about, about six weeks into their journey. So let's read the scripture briefly. Exodus 16, 1 through 4, they had already come through the Red Sea, or if depending on the translation, could be the Reed Sea. Ha, <laughs> ha, mess with you. All right, so here we go. So let's go, Exodus 16, 1 to 4. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So about roughly six weeks after they have left. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So the question is becoming interesting to me. The question is, where's the beef? Ah, dad jokes. Okay, that's the question. Where's the beef? That's really it. So it's like, where's our food coming from? I don't understand. We've been out here six weeks, and where's the fear? The people are becoming uncomfortable because they don't know what's ahead. They're looking ahead and they're going, we don't see anywhere out in the desert where food is going to be provided for us. They're becoming uncomfortable. Where's the food? And what was their response? Let's go back. Don't you love the nostalgia? Hey, back in Egypt, we had really huge pots of food. Do you realize what they have done? right, is they had missed the whole enslavement part. <laughs> they let go of the slavery aspect, the forced labor aspect, because literally here's what they said. We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. That's what they remembered at this point, because they literally they had become so uncomfortable that the focus was on that which made them uncomfortable. And they said, let's go back. Now, I know I'm not this kind of preacher. Today, I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to literally say this out loud with me. Let's go back. Are you ready? Let's go back. Let's go back. 
So fast forward just a little bit because it's not over. That's just the manna because God did provide. God said, I hear you. I'm going to provide for you something new. We're going to provide manna. So then we get into Numbers. Fast forward to Numbers chapter 11. The question changes. It's no longer where's the food. Listen to number cha- uh, Numbers chapter 11. We're going to go verses, um, hang on a second. We're going to go verses 4 through 6. Up to this point now, they had been out in the desert. There's, I, don't, I did not go back and count the exact amount of time, but it basically has been a lot longer. But we're not into the 40 years part. You know what I mean? Because they had not made it there. They had not rejected the land yet. So here we are. So watch this. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this. The question is no longer where's the food. The question has become where's the variety? Where's the variety of food? They're becoming uncomfortable. Listen, I know I want to remind us. Just let me remind you what manna looked like. Take your box of frosted flakes and dump it on your table. That's what manna looked like. It is pretty well believed that it was just this this crusty resin-like material that they could smash and cook and make it into stuff, or they could, you know, put more together. It looked like Frosted Flakes. And they're like, we're tired of eating Frosted Flakes, God. We're tired of this breakfast food or this cereal-looking thing. Where's the variety? Now, can you imagine? Listen to the nostalgia. Listen to the nostalgia. Earlier it was, oh, the pots of meat. (laughs) Yeah, pots of meat. But listen to this one one more time. We uh, remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. They're uncomfortable because they want variety. But can you imagine the nostalgia on this one? I, can y'all imagine? I'm not sure if you could do this. I, the sarcasm in me just drives up. It really goes out the roof when I hear this line. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Now, if you can remind, can, just imagine somebody is going, you're literally crowd controlling this, and they're going, Moses, come on, man, where's the variety? Where's the variety? We had free fish. And somebody went, don't forget the cucumbers. And then somebody else yelled out, and the onions. Oh, the garlic. My Lord, the garlic. <laughs> Can you imagine this whole scene as it plays out? <laughs> this is probably sitting here going. <laughs> but what were they saying to do? Y'all ready to say it again? Let's go back. Let's go back. But they're not done. Flip over a few more chapters to number 14. Numbers 14. We're going to go back again to verses 1 through 4. The question is not where's the food. The question is not where's the variety. The question changes a little bit this time. Listen to Numbers 14, 1 to 4. It says, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Now let me remind you what all had happened. They had gotten to the promised land. They had had people go in and scout the promised land. And when they came back, they had a report. 
And the report was, hey, bro, out there is huge. The land swallows people alive. What are we going to do? It says, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Same scene. Are y'all with me on this? It's the same scene. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us out to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Won't it be better? Here it is. They actually finally said it out loud. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Mutiny. Yeah. <laughs> Mutiny. See, now they're looking at it going, where's the victory? They've asked God, where's the food? He gave them manna. And in God's total sarcasm, he asked, they asked him, where's the meat? And he gave them quail. He gave them so much quail, they literally became sick of it. He gave them quail for a month. And there was so much of it, it was literally, it was, it's, it's believed to be roughly about, a, about knee deep for as far as they could see. <laughs> That's a lot of quail. And then they went, okay, now we're here. The very thing we have been pushing towards, the very thing you have been leading us towards, and we get here and we go, oh my gosh, look at the size of the people and look at how the land swallows them up. We are nothing but ants to these people. Where's the victory? And they say, let's go back. They didn't even, did you notice they didn't even offer something nostalgic at this point? They didn't even go, do you remember the size of the people in Egypt? They were small. There's no nostalgia this time. It's just straight up, let's go back. We have a unique opportunity. We've had everything changed for us. And it was somewhat forced upon us whether we went, went, you know, really wanted it or not. We have an opportunity, and here the question is right now, it's the same question whether we realize it or not. It's the same question the Israelites are saying. Let's go back. That's where we're at. And the question is arising because we want to go back to church the way it was. We want to go back to church the way, the way we, we are comfortable with. We want to go back to church to the way things have always been done. Normalcy. Relationship. We want normalcy so bad. But what is the possibility that the question we're asking is literally the same as the Israelites? Let's go back. Let's just go back. So I feel like that we need to evaluate our reasoning behind asking this question. Let's go back. Can we go back to reopen? Can we go back to worship? Because let's be honest, the Israelites were uncomfortable at about every turn they made. And we are uncomfortable at all of the turns that we are making as well. We are uncertain about what anything holds in the future. It feels like just about every single day there's new information. It feels like there's a new direction. It feels like there's a new way of protecting ourselves. It feels like there's something completely new we have to deal with. And I don't know if y'all have faced this, and I don't know if you've been reading about this, but it's been interesting to me to even hear um, how people are having more headaches now and even just the stress of the moment has really been driving people mentally. It's been driving us to be unstable at times. 
It has been driving us to be stir crazy. It has been driving us to be uh, literally just to be completely uncomfortable with everything. And that's why there's a sense of normalcy of literally going, I want to go back to normal because I, want, I don't care about the rest of us. Let's throw it all out the window and let's go back. Let's go back to the way it was and we can just deal with it. And the question I'm asking is why? I understand that we don't know. We haven't just look. The Israelites were like, I don't see where the food is going to come from. I don't see where the meat is going to come from. I don't see where the victory is going to come from. And here we are sitting, literally, right, about six weeks before school starts. And at this point, has it been stated what we're doing? Yes. But do we also recognize that that's probably going to change tomorrow? Yes. So school is uncertain. Um, Our jobs are uncertain. Finances are uncertain. My God, the college football is uncertain. What has this world come to, y'all? What are we doing? (laughs) I will never forget the tweet. I thought this is probably one of the funniest tweets. They said, all right, cancel college football, and the SEC will figure out how to fix the pandemic. (laughs) I thought, you're dang right. You're dang right. But y'all, God was doing something new with Israel. He was taking them out of something they had known for 400 years. And he was not leaving them where they were. And he was bringing them to something new. He was bringing them to something better. Egypt was a point of salvation at one point. And it helped to get them out of famine. And it helped to bring them into a place where they were actually able to thrive. But where they were, they were no longer going to thrive. And God said, let's go. Not let's go back. Let's go somewhere else. What is the possibility? And listen, they were missing it, y'all. They were missing it because they were uncomfortable. What is the, what is the possibility that God is leading us to something different? What is the possibility that God is challenging us to get out of where we have been? And bringing us to somewhere new. I'm listening. I do not. I don't. She asked the question, do I believe that this is a, this has been something that we're, we're, um, the, the families have been brought back into a family unit like we used to be? I won't tell you no. And the reason why is because Uh, the numbers of domestic abuse are skyrocketing. Um, Say that again. Families are what? Families that are afraid to get together. Right. And when you do get together, everything is different and changed. Here's what I'm saying. Here's my my question for us, y'all. What if the idea of coming back to something normal and normalcy as a whole. And I'm not just talking about in-person worship at this point. I'm asking us to evaluate our purpose behind anything. What is the point, what is the possibility that us trying to go back to normalcy is only about us? Let's just be honest. Are we coming to church because we actually have a holy desperation to be in the presence of Christ? Or is it only because we want to be back together? There's nothing wrong with relationships, y'all. We talk and we preach relationships and community all day long. We do that 
because those are healthy things when they are viewed in the body of Christ. But if what we're doing is coming back, and I'm not, again, I'm, I want us to evaluate. If all we're doing is coming back because we want to be in community and relationship, and it's not because we're desperate for the presence of Christ in our lives, then all we're doing is feeding ourselves. We're just feeding our own souls. I can see you itching back there. Go ahead. She asked if it's about liberty, by the way. Okay. You're talking about because when they were in the desert, they didn't have choices. And when they're back in Egypt, they did. False sense of liberty. Okay. Right. All right. I, I feel like a translator, a Spanish translator with an English guy trying to trying to translate this into, you know, Spanish or English or whatever. So I'm going to take her entire concept for our online folks and try my best to nutshell that. <laughs> so here we go. I'm going to try to translate as best I can. She's asking the question, what if this is really just a false sense of liberty? So as out in the desert, tell me if I'm mis misrepresenting, but out in the desert, they felt like they didn't have choices. But back in Egypt, they felt like they did. So they felt like there was more freedom because back there in Egypt, they actually had choices of what they wanted to do. But where God was taking them, or actually God was doing something new with it, and they were missing it because they were looking at choices of freedom, which really are not freedom. Okay. <laughs> yes. So here's the thing I want to push, and that could very well be the case. And honestly, God, I don't think that's wrong at all. But what's the possibility, too? What's the possibility we've made golden calves out of our buildings? What's the possibility we've made golden calves out of our programs at church? What's the possibility that we've made golden calves um, about how we do church altogether? We have tried our very best. Um, we have tried our very best about, about changing and stretching that, that out. About changing the focus of why we do church, right? We have tried our best to go, okay, let's get outside of our four walls and let's go be in the community and let's go actually go and be the hands and feet of Christ. It's the very thing that as the well at Lewisburg, this is what has made us who we are is that we get outside the box and we go, how is it that we can say, you know, forget our comfort. It's not about bringing people in. It's not an attractional model. There is a, mod there is a, there is a, a mix of a little bit of a both. But the idea is, how is it that we can get out and go? What if we've made a golden calf out of our location? And I don't say any of these things lightly, y'all. Here's what I want us to do. I want you to evaluate why it is you're here. 
And I want you to evaluate for online why you are here too. I need us to evaluate why it is we come to worship. Because at this point, it does feel like in some way, not just here, but just in general, and I'm on minister meetings once a week up until recently. We finally were going to kind of take a break until August. But I'm in ministry meetings. I'm listening to everything, and I'm pondering everything, and I'm taking stuff in. I'm listening to folks out in the community. I have, I'm a part of t- another church, too, and I'm like, okay, I'm hearing it from them, too. I'm getting a whole different perspective from another location. But it almost feels as if right now we are literally letting the concept of how we do discipleship go. In favor of comfort uh, and familiarity. And I want us to be careful. My God, we've taken comfort and thrown it out the window. We're not inside in the air conditioning. It is blasted. I know, I know the date says June. The sun says it's July. I know better. We are outside in the heat in mass. We are pushing comfort outside, right? We are pushing those boundaries. But I want us to evaluate, are we doing worship? And this is more existential, y'all. This is the bigger picture. Are we doing worship because we just want things that are familiar and comfortable again? Are we pushing back to go to normalcy? Or is it because we truly are wanting to come and have an experience of Christ? And then my question is, if that's the case, why can't we experience Christ elsewhere too? Let's experience Christ here. Let's be Christ to our neighbors too. Let's be Christ to those who we are in contact with because I know a lot of us are still going into work right now. A lot of us are going back into places right now. To be Christ there too. There's a desperation. Where is our desperation to that? You know what? We recognize that we cannot do this either as individuals or even just as one church. There's a desperation to know that we just need to have God's presence around us at all times. And anything and everything that we do, we need Christ in our lives. Where is the desperation? So this week I want us to pray, uh, and this is my whole, this is, watch this, y'all. This is my worship nod. I I need us to truly evaluate why it is we're pushing to come back to in-person worship. Not just here. I'm talking about existentially. I'm talking about across the board, y'all. Is this something we are desperate for because we have missed being in the presence of people and that's what helps lead us to Christ? And if we're really just pushing back for familiarity, that's about us. Evaluate. Take the time this week and spend time in prayer. Take the time this week and spend time in prayer asking yourselves, where is the holy desperation? Over the next few weeks, We're going to be talking about what it is that the Scripture seems to be pointing to that we should be desperate about. Does that make sense? The things that Scripture said we should be desperate in this direction. And are we doing that as a church? We've made a push to do something completely different, to be outside the box. But are we really masking that? I did not mean that pun. Y'all apologize. I apologize. Are we masking that? And really just going back to the same old stuff we've always done as a church. Not just as the well, but church as a whole. God has called us to do something different. In the name of Jesus Christ, let's flip and do it. Amen.
I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. And there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, 
nothing is better than you oh there's nothing better than you lord there's nothing better than you lord there's nothing nothing is better than you you turn mourning to dancing you give beauty for ashes you turn shame into glory you're the only one who can you turn graves into gardens you turn bones into armies you turn seas into highways you're the only one who can you're the only one who can you're the only one who can today's benediction comes from exodus 6 7 and it says i will take you as my own people and i will be your god then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Happy Sunday, everyone.